Welcome back to Lady Scientist Podcast. We have an exciting interview in store for you guys today. I interview Dr. Christina Trojel Hansen. She's a serial biotech entrepreneur, and she has a lot of great stories and expertise to share with you all. Before we dive in, I just wanted to give a shout out to all of our listeners and supporters. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or click subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps us. I also wanted to announce some exciting news. This episode is sponsored by Kendall Investor Relations. They're an investor relations firm. And if you're a biotech entrepreneur out there who is looking for some help in interacting with investors or even a researcher who's thinking about spinning out a company and you don't know how to approach investors, I highly encourage you to reach out to Carlo and his team. They have a lot of expertise in this area and they are there to help. I'll put the link below um, and please uh, follow up with Carlo if you have, have any needs and enjoy the episode. Well, welcome back to Lady Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Jocelyn Pearl. And today we have a very special guest, one of my dear friends, Christina Trojel Hansen. She's a serial entrepreneur and has been involved in founding several biotech companies, uh, something I'm excited to ask her about today. And um, she was recently named one of Endpoint's 20 under 40 um, of the year. So there were some interesting details from that article that we're going to get into. Christina, welcome to Lady Scientist Podcast. Thank you, Justin. I'm so proud to be here. It's awesome to see what you're doing with this podcast and all the people that you have been, you know, in, involving and have to interview. So I'm proud to be one of them. <laughs> Honored. <laughs> Well, thank you for taking the time. I know you have a very busy schedule. Um, you're super involved in all, like, multiple companies at this point, um, which I know we can't talk about all of them, but we'll get into to a few things today. So Christina's background, she started out um, in undergrad in Denmark, went on to get her PhD from Copenhagen University and UC Berkeley, and then she did a postdoc in Paris. And after that, she went on to join Novo Seeds, which is the kind of early stage uh, arm of Novo Holdings. And that was really kind of where you started bridging into this like venture side of things. So can you tell us about that migration from more of the hardcore academic science into more of the investment side of things? Sure, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so you know, I, I've always had a really strong curiosity for science in, in, in general. And um, when I sort of started to think about what academic career I should pick and choose, I was thinking, okay, do I want a medicine? Or do I want to be a vet because I was a horse rider at that time? Or do I want to do something in biology? So I, I saw this uh, advertisement for nanotechnology in, uh, in Aarhus back in the days, uh, 2003, I think it was. And um, for me, it was like a, a very good place to, to land because you would be uh, teached in all of the disciplines from physics, mathematics, biochemistry, cell biology, and all this. And it would give me some time to really figure out what I wanted to do, but still expose me to some really cool stuff. Uh, so I embarked on, on that journey on in the nanoscience and um, and it was a hot word at that time too. We could do everything with the with nano. Uh, I think some of it is maybe showing off today, like 17 years later, but uh, but that was where I started. Um, I, I figured out that I had a stronger preference for medicines and, and developing 
cell therapies over the time. But the first step towards that was me deciding on biology was the right thing. So I, I moved a little bit more into the area of epigenetics. Um, I went to a really good group uh, in Copenhagen. That was my, uh, so I left Aarhus to join this group in Copenhagen. It was quite scary, but it was really, really uh, interesting because it was the best group and and they were doing some really novel stuff at that time. Um, they actually found some really cool stuff in the uh, modifying histomethyl transferases that give rise to a company was called Epitherapeutics, uh, which was sold to Gilead um, at one point. And, and the head of the lab was called Christian Helene. Nonetheless, um, I got excited about that more in the oncology space, moved into the area of uh, epigenetics um, in with relation to immunogenic cell death. And that really brought me to um, Berkeley because there was a really good group there. And I would say the the time in Berkeley and, and also the, the step going over there was just so cool because the, the world was bigger and people were dedicated to what they were doing and they were just like super excited for, for all of it. So I really enjoyed it. But at the same time, I was struggling a little bit whether I wanted to stay in academia or not. Um, being at the bench wasn't maybe my what excited me the most. I think it was more the opportunities of the scientific discoveries in terms of, you know, taking care of patients and, and all of this. Uh, so, so, but I had to go, you know, one step at a time, uh, figuring out what was uh, exciting for me. Eventually, I was ready to leave academia after my PhD, but then met Guido Kremer in, in Paris, and uh, he was just like, yeah, come and join my lab in, as a postdoc. And nonetheless, I was just like, okay, I'm going to give it a last try <laughs> to see if, I, if, if it's right for me now or later. So, so I decided to, um, to move back uh, to Europe after Berkeley and, uh, and moved to Paris, um, which was quite a big shift going from Berkeley, being very happy and all <laughs> super <laughs> excited and, and welcoming to Paris. That's a little bit more, I would say, I love it there, uh, but there are, it's, it's definitely a harder uh, place to, to be. But the laboratory was very exciting and I spent some good time there. Um, I would say I, I shaved a lot of mice, took care of a lot of tumors in those mice and see if we could do something uh, with them. And, and it was very promising. Uh, and for me, the being closer, working at actually at, at a hospital, Institut Gustav Rossi, uh, reminded me every day when I was going to work that I was doing something that was potentially being progress into uh, to patients. Um, that said, I was still not super, super happy being at the bench and, and finally decided to, to leave that, uh, that path I was on. I uh, went back to Denmark and I was wondering what the hell am I going to do here? <laughs> so, so basically I was just like, I was thinking about it, how do I, how do I bridge out of academia and go into industry in something that's really cool. And, and what really came to mind was um, intellectual property and patents. That must be really, really cool. So I jumped into that area um, and realizing it was really not my, you know, <laughs> where I get, got really excited. Uh, but I learned a lot about uh, patents and, and most importantly, I, I felt this strong satisfaction meeting with the inventors of the 
the, behind the patents and talking through what led them to that invention and, and how I could eventually help them putting this out there to become something that was patentable, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it, from that perspective, it was an um, interesting journey, but it just wasn't me being a patent agent. And, um, and eventually I, I, I got recruited into a company that was working um, in, in the area of enzymes, Novozymes, a fantastic Danish company. Um, and that was really where I started to learn about business development and business creation and, and you know, how, how do you think about new ideas? How do you put them into a structure? I've never been in the yeah, McKinsey world or whatsoever. But <laughs> so I, I got a lot of tools on, on thinking about structuring uh, your thoughts when you're thinking about creating new opportunities and how you bring them to market. So, so it, was a, it was a good time, um, but uh, industrial applications of enzymes wasn't really fascinating. The funny thing is that now I'm working with CRISPR and we were talking about at that time, how do we optimize enzymes? How do we make high throughput droplet-based <laughs> screenings for finding better and more efficient enzymes? Um, and, and I think these methodologies are very applicable for the era we are now in, in therapeutic developments where we are going back to, to having um, interesting new applications of, of CRISPR and nucleases and, and what have you. Um, so I, I was pretty lucky uh, from that perspective. And, and I also will say I spend a lot of time sort of networking outside my job. So if there was something in venture capital, uh, um, I would say a meeting or something like that, I would try to go to that meeting and shake hands with, with the people that was at this meeting that worked in venture capital and ask them, you know, what, what does it take to come into venture capital? What, what is it, uh, what is it like? Uh, and, and also try to understand that and you know, standing there waiting until the speaker got down and just like being really hungry and going after that, <laughs> that person. And I was just like, excuse me, I would like to ask a question. And um, yeah, I, I think that was sort of where I started to be maybe noticed by a few people that I was having this interest and curiosity combined with the, I would say still academic background I had and and it actually led me to to the position in Nova Holdings which was the first time I really entered into the area of venture capital and company creation so that was that was kind of it was almost it almost felt like getting home feeling I found my home there in Nova Seeds I loved it I was so happy with it um, we had all these fun um, interactions with early academia. We had programs that's called pre-seed grants at that time, where we could go basically to the best academics and say, oh, I can offer, you know, help to spin out your stuff. We can give a non-committed grant and help develop a milestone plan and all this and that, even though I had actually very little clue on how to do it at that time. So it was almost learning by doing. Um, but I think it was it was it was it's easier said than done in this case actually. <laughs> so so I think that was that was my first sort of entry into venture capital. Awesome. Wow. 
<laughs> we can edit this out. <laughs> my my like pause. I just um that was great. Um so you talked about how exciting it was to work with the inventors behind these patents. What was what like do you have any examples of like the first time you got to go meet with you know some academics and help them um spin out a company and what what that experience was like yeah yeah absolutely i think what just comes to mind is uh, my first visit to uh, the it's called dtu which is a danish technical university so they actually had a nano department and uh, with my nano background i was sort of serving more in the nano field of uh, of the patent company and i went out there and i talked with these people that was uh, probably at my level from my postdoc and a little bit above and and it was just like funny to hear how they were super excited about the possibility of combining nanotechnology and um, surface uh, energetics in terms of trying to to build these um, biosensors that could be put on a dish and they wanted to put it in a DVD player and just have a really fast readout if you had a blood droplet and all this and that. And it was mega fascinating to me to just hear those, you know, thoughts behind it and, and the creative mind and yeah, so I really loved to to be in this creative world where you're getting the passion from these inventors and all this and that, and and you try to to help it out. I don't know if I have the same creativity, but at least you know I can sort of bridge their passion into something that maybe becomes something utilized by yeah hospitals or patients, etc. So that's probably the first example I can come to. There's also been some that was pretty. Not so exciting, but <laughs> that is that is the yeah the story. So so you you were at Novo Seeds. You were involved in Novo Zymes. What happened next? Because I know you had this big move to the U.S. that involved spending <laughs> a lot of your own money, flying back and forth, and you know it, they talk about it in the Endpoints article. So I want to get into that whole yeah. experience and how that came about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's quite a unique story. Um, I would say that that was game changing and and changed the path of my life. I would say uh, in in a big matter. So, so in Novo Seeds, one of the things that we could do, as I mentioned before, was really trying to go out and find extraordinary academics and uh, think about their science and and how to translate it into patients. I had a sort of a little thing that I was really interested in was regenerative medicine and in particular fo focusing on uh, the brain. I saw a lot of uh, progress in the oncology field and also with CAR-T sort of coming out there and and it was interesting what you could do. I mean if you could do cell therapies for the brain and, and all this. Basically at that time I was not trained in CNS. I did not know a lot about the brain. So I went into a, a rabbit hole of a reading basically up on CNS, cell therapy for the CNS, which therapies may be working or not, what's uh, easier, uh, what's more difficult and, and figuring out 
who are the most prominent people there. So it happens that uh, there is this fantastic professor that's sitting at the University of Rochester Medical Center, Stephen Allen Goldman, and he's also a co-director in Copenhagen, which was uh, came in very handy. <laughs> and I didn't realize it at, at that time. I reached out to him and, and we we talked. Um, I was basically just saying, hey, hey, Steve, you're having some really cool stuff, fantastic publications. I would love to talk to you about uh, this field in general and on how do we apply cell therapy for uh, intractable CNS diseases. And he came back to me in an email quite shortly after. Uh, and hence then we started to develop a relationship. He was in, in, in uh, Copenhagen. And I met with him there. That was the first time uh, I took my bike from Novo and <laughs> drove up there. And I remember getting to, to Steve Goldman's uh, office and I was uh, very humble and also in incredibly nervous going into this big professor <laughs> that had you know, so many years of, uh, of knowledge in, in the field. Uh, and he opened the door and I got in and we talked about the science. Um, I was blown away by it. Um, and, and eventually I wrote a grant application for him uh, to get some support to spin out some of the work. Uh, he's, been, he's been very, uh, I would say, knowledgeable in working with big companies and advisors, et cetera, et cetera. So, so from that perspective, he knew what I was talking about. And, um, and also I, I think he was, he was ready to engage with the or re-engage you can say with investors to bring his therapies forward that were quite uh, quite um i would say advanced so yeah after that we we started working together i was trying to figure out what is a milestone plan for this project <laughs> what is it needed and it was a very naive approach at that point but actually many of the small you can say development milestones um, have been really fulfilled to today. At one point in time, uh, he says, you know the science better than anybody else, Christina, why don't you just join as the CEO of the company? And I remember I was I was in a on a skiing trip with a really good friend of mine, Irena, and um, I was just like, oh, I don't know about that. Can I do it? Uh, and and I remember we was we were talking on the slopes, uh, going down. I said, okay, I have to, I have to figure out. I also need to figure out how do I, how do I, how do I get out of Novo? I really like it, but also I really want to try this. But I'm not, I'm not the, uh, I'm not, the, I don't have the experience of being a, a CEO. So then, I eventually decided to say, okay, I'll go on that journey. You took the leap. I took the leap. Yeah. <laughs> And in, in the article recently, you talked about, you know, feeling somewhat terrified. What got you through that time period? And was there a point when you felt more comfortable in that role and, and just felt like you were really running this company and really operating as a CEO, even though you hadn't done it before? Yeah, so, so when I took the leap... Uh, to you know, uh, leave my job and go to try to go to US, knock in doors, try to figure out if investors would be funding the company. I was super scared because I didn't have any funding. I also was 
pretty new in the scene. I did have a really good uh, professor behind me, uh, but it was definitely standing up to investors and articulating the case and why it was cool. And uh, and I really, really believed in it, but I was, I was afraid that I was not, you know, um, experienced and not in their eyes to, to take on uh, this role that I was now had together with Steve and agreed on uh, taking on. So I think for a long period of time until um, I ran into to, uh, Bob Nelson uh, via, you could say, help from uh, a previous a good, really close friend of mine, Paul Turk and, and Tom Brennan from Arts that I had known uh, earlier via some some meetings. Um, when when we met and we started to talk about SANA biotechnology in the early uh, sort of inception and all this, I was still nervous because we had no deal. So <laughs> I think at that time when we closed and signed the agreement, I had moved to Seattle. I had no money. I had nothing. I was sleeping on an aero mattress. <laughs> and I was hoping for, <laughs> let's really hope that this is going to work out. Um, so I think when, when the when deal signed, uh, I felt much more comfortable with the fact that I had secured Steve Goldman money uh, on a, of course, milestone-based uh, plan to progress his science. I think for me, that was the best part that had happened. And, and, and then I sort of figured it out, you know, one step at a time uh, as we went. But it's always scary when you're out there and, and you're doing something new. I think you never, you can never really lean back and say, okay, I know it all. I know it all. <laughs> it's just <laughs> the time. There's no rest. <laughs> no rest. <laughs> no. Amazing. Um, so, so let's, let's move on to some highlights. Like, I mean, all of this I think is really inspiring for anyone. I know myself personally, I, you know, since we met uh, last summer, been always really inspired by your journey and how much you've been able to accomplish. Um, <clears throat> what it, what have been some highlights along the way for you? Because you've taken a lot of risks, you've mm -hmm. really put yourself out there. It certainly doesn't sound like it's it's not been an easy road. But what what are some of the joys of this process for you? I think I think the the joys has been to see things succeed or at least succeed, you know, stepwise. So you can always discuss what, what is a success really, but, but progressing, I mean, being the catalyst for progressing um, academia and scientific discoveries closer to the patients has been very, very exciting to me and, and, and has been so so intriguing uh, that all of the fear has been sort of forgotten when you think about it um in in that sense and, and of course i mean as you know um me eventually um made the final uh, you can say agreement with sana biotechnology last year for them to uh, incorporate the company into to sana and, and actually have really good help within the walls of sana of progressing the programs so that was really uh, a big step for for me, and um, I'll have to plug in this. No worries. Yeah. Yeah. It it just went suddenly. 
There's something with my charger here. We'll figure oh, it out. Oh, is it not charging? Um, now it is. I hope you can. Oh, it. good. Yeah. I'll, I'll just. Is that it. your desk making that sound? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, funny. <laughs> no, it's, it, this one fell out. There we go. I think it's at the same, the same level. Okay. Do we so, want to? Do you want what? to take a step back or? No, we, we, yeah, we, we can kind of dive back into where we were at. Um, and if you need a break or anything, like. No, it's it, it it's it's okay. I, okay. It's a, the sun is going a little bit more down here, so is the light still okay? Yeah, I mean, if you if you want to turn towards the window a little more, that's good. Yeah, there you go. Nice. Um, so, so you were signing an agreement with Sana to sell mm -hmm. the company that you were building with Steve Goldman, which was Osign. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, that's correct. And while that all was going on, you were also working on other companies as well, right? You, like, you kind of never settle. You're always, you always have, like, different things in the mix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think it maybe comes a little bit back to what I mentioned earlier of the, uh, the, the scientific curiosity in, in general. Um, and, you know, when you learn something or uh, observe something, you also realize where could there be potential gaps between uh, the treatments that we have or in the science, etc. Um, and I would say early on, almost at the same time as um, as working with, with Steve, I got pretty pretty excited about uh, mitochondria as, as a energy source. Of course, I mean, it had been, we all know that that's, uh, that's out there, but, but I was uh, focused on the novel ways of addressing a mitochondrial dysfunction. And um, so there is actually something that dates back to, to the normal days uh, where I almost did the same as with Steve, but didn't <laughs> join uh, that company. But it was uh, really reaching out to a couple of uh, amazing uh, experts that was uh, located in Sweden, uh, Nilsko and Larsson and uh, Klaas Gustafsson. And, um, and they had been doing some terrific work in, uh, in, in understanding mitochondrial MD, mtDNA mutations. So eventually that company got supplied with uh, an, ex an expert from, from Cambridge, um, Michael Munzek, uh, and, and that company I also helped co-found in, in that process. Um, it's a, I think it's, it was an interesting area, but, but what I recently did uh, in the cell therapy field was understanding what is the, I mean, how do we actually control the cells? I mean, we were talking in Ozine all the time about transplanting glia progenitor cells into the brain, but could we, could we enhance the phenotype and how do we control how they differentiate how do we control of these aspects? And, and these are not stuff that we do uh, on, you can say a genetic basis, but really on the epigenome uh, basis. So alongside with the new discoveries that was uh, emerging from, yeah, I would think Jennifer Doudna and the CRISPR-Cas and the Zinc Fingers, 
I think there uh, was a stronger focus suddenly on if we can precisely uh, manipulate the epigenome, that would be really fantastic. And, and, and I remember back in my sort of my master's years, running around and trying to do something with small molecule inhibitors or activators of what we have for epigenome modifiers that would just like be spread over the entire epigenome. So we didn't really have any control at that point. Uh, but now suddenly with these new tools, we could precisely go in, uh, open up for and close for the epigenome and enable uh, transcription or you can say repressed transcription by, by these tools here. So. So I think the learning from OSIGN really translated into my thoughts about this field. And, and obviously, Fyodor Ernov and Charlie Gersbeck are some of the best people in the world uh, in, in, in that field. So started on a little journey, just, I would say, a nerdy uh, rabbit hole <laughs> figuring out, learning about that, that field. And, and uh, it was really sort of naive uh, exploration I went on. Uh, but today there is a, a company that that, um, that I helped sort of catalyze and, and, and that Jocelyn uh, is also a part of that's now really trying to translate those therapies into to medicines. And, and I think there is a huge uh, perspective in, in, in that area. Yeah, it's certainly a very exciting field and I think one that many companies in this space are starting to appreciate from a, you know, we've focused so much on gene editing and cleaving the genome and now can we actually tune the genome and, um, you know, deliver something that um, might be more precise at adjusting gene expression as a treatment for different diseases. So it's pretty exciting. It's it, it oh, was, I mean, it was, it's so funny because it's so obvious, right? But it was one of those where you're just like, you had to articulate the promise of, uh, of this field and, and it was really hard. Um, but I'm so happy to see how, you know, the field is emerging. I can imagine how Fyodor Ernov has been thinking about this uh, years back because it's, it's very logical that this is super Apologies, everyone. We had some technical difficulties on the recording of this episode, so we had a brief pause and welcome back as we pick back up where we left off. Thanks. And we didn't get to talk about at the beginning of the, the hour that we're doing a little bit of a happy hour together on the show <laughs> for the first time, Christina and I. Um, so we have our, our cocktails. Cheers, Christina. Cheers, Jocelyn. <laughs> Cheers for us. Cheers for lady scientists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To lady scientists everywhere. Um, yeah, so I think before our technical difficulties, we left off, you were kind of talking about um, one of the recent companies that you sold to Sana um, and that process and how you were already working on some other companies and getting new things in the mix, which I think is this interesting um way you go about working on these things is you always have different ideas in the mix and what I might call like scientific hypotheses that you're trying to build companies around to solve problems that haven't been solved before, which I find really exciting. Yeah. Um, how do you, can you, I mean, can you talk about how you get into these hypotheses and how 
you identify these gaps in therapeutics? Uh, it's, I actually don't know if there is a specific model for it. Um, obviously, I think I am trying to connect dots between or leaping what's there and, and, and in, in therapeutic space and what's not there. So in the example of Ozine, uh, trying to understand how we can optimize cell biology, um, it brought me to, to the understanding of, you know, we, when, if you're going to enhance and, and change cells and make them become one or the other, it's really on the epigenome level. And, uh, and I think that that is, that is a, that's the leap I take from a learning and then get curious and, and how can we control it? So, so in, in the same sense of when we are talking about the, for example, the mitochondria area that I got really fascinated about, it was really to start trying to understand why is it that stuff aids in our body or in our brain and, and what are the really interesting thing here. And I think by, you know, almost, serendipity, I get into the mutations in the mitochondrial uh, uh, DNA and, and get really fascinated <laughs> by that, uh, that area. So, so it, it's hard to say uh, and, and put a model on, on how I get to those. It, it's, it's more, I think, uh, studying science and, and listening to, to new inventions and, and these aspects, it's, it's driving it. Sure. Okay. So if that model is hard to describe, if you were to have to put together a couple building blocks for what it takes to build a biotech for yeah. our listeners, yeah. you're out there, you want to build a biotech. What are Christina's building blocks for the basic biotech company? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a great question. I think I think there may be some process to to building biotechs, uh, especially if you're at the stage of having sort of an overall idea to what it should be about. How can you use the biotech, uh, you can say, setup to advance the the science to become therapeutics? Because that's the overarching, I think, goal of a biotech. It's really to take new discoveries, inventions, and, and bringing it uh, forward to, to a clinical setting. So in, in, that, in, in that sense, uh, once you get to the stage where you know what makes exciting uh, translatable uh, science, then you start to figure out who are the people, the right people to get engaged uh, as the co-founders that would complement each other. So saying somebody knows a little bit in in field A, but that would really complement somebody in field B. But I think most importantly is that these two field A and field B guys, that they really like each other and, and could find a good way of collaborating and bringing their respective scientific disciplines forward. And that I would say then once you have that set, it becomes a lot about, I would say, um, there's legal aspects, there's then hiring aspects, it gets it's still exciting, but it gets a little bit more process driven on how to incorporate a company. Should it be in Delaware? How do we get this set up? How do we manage the co-founding the cap table? How do you then start to think about your story, obviously, in a pitch deck form? What's going to be the plan? How much money do you need? I mean, what does it cost to take a specific project from discovery into a phase one trial? 
if you have a couple of projects, how much do you need in total to get to there? What are the inflection points along those ways? Um, and, and all of this is stuff that I do not necessarily have the expertise in, in doing, but it's something that then I will go out and ask people, uh, I need your input for you know, the, the, the timeline and the process for bringing this forward. And, and I think uh, in, in, there's a lot of entropy in these early biotechs and these early days that you have to surround yourself with so many people that can give you the right input on, on making sure that you capture everything from IP to licensing to, <laughs> you can say development plans and financing uh, pretty right from, from the get-go. And then you never know, the companies may pivot and go in a different direction, uh, but that's a starting point. So, so I think thinking about the people you know in terms of putting these structures in place is, uh, is pretty critical. And, um, and, and that's, the, that's the process. And yeah. so what's the, what's the dollar amount? Like what's the minimum it takes? Yeah, I think it's it's really depends. I mean, I'm sorry, I almost sounds like a lawyer. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it really does depend, right? So, so where is the company at? What, what's the programs? Is it cell and gene therapy? Is it small molecules? What's the development timelines? How big are the phase one trials? So it's, it's not necessarily easy to say a dollar amount. Uh, it's also dependent upon how bold do you want to go? Uh, do you want to take it all the way to a finish of a phase one trial and say, okay, we've got at least 100 million or 200 million. That's, uh, that's the arch venture model of, uh, of making sure that you have a really long-term secured pathway uh, there. And I think it's a, it's a good model to be sure that you know what's coming down the pipe and it's not like just a, a few millions here and there because eventually it's going to be really tough to develop a, a, a therapeutic product with, with small monies. Right. Well, so, when, we, when we chatted about this before, you did put a number on it. So yeah. waiting to see if you'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think it's really, you know, as I mentioned, with all of the um, reservations that I had, um, you have to go something between 10 and $100 million, right? Uh, to progress it to maybe ID or depending upon the program. So it's, biotech is unfortunately not cheap. Um, yeah. it's, not like, it's not like tech where you can do more in front of your computer. <laughs> right. It's a, cap it's a capital intensive business as I like, it, to, you know, as many people like to say. Yeah, exactly. Um, absolutely. I mean, it's like the spend rate, the burn rate is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, you look at companies having burn rates of uh, two, three hundred millions a year, which is absurd in the biotech field, uh, field but, um, but that's the nature of, of uh, bringing really transformative therapies forward. So, yeah. 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 And one of my good friends, Sean, who is going to be on the podcast sometime in June, um, she had a really good point the other day. We were chatting about this aspect of biotech and just the craziness of how much money gets spent on each company. And, um, yeah her point was that it, you know, my company might not be the one who makes the advance, but at least we're kind of pushing ourselves a little bit further towards the next cure. And I thought that was a very kind of optimistic and positive way of thinking about it. It's like, 
you know, we might not be the ones to win, but at least we got us a little bit closer. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's multiple learnings taking, uh, I would say, inventions out of academia in, in the interim, uh, both in terms of how to optimize the product, what do you actually need in terms of manufacturing. There's so many lessons that's not, you know, when you go to a very early stage product, um, a project that you cannot necessarily uh, foresee. So so I think uh, Sean's um, comment is, is completely right. And, and I think the if everybody thinks like that, it, it can, we can only make the world a better place basically because we have a desire to, to advance science and, and how the overall community is looking like today in terms of, uh, you can say, soft money or uh, grants for supporting advanced uh, trials of, uh, or you can say early, uh, later state preclinical development, uh, it's really hard. Um, so it, it, it is a, there is a really big need for, for investors and, and biotech money to go in and fill that gap uh, and make sure that all of the amazing stuff that's coming out of uh, laboratories around the world is not just getting lost because of this uh, value of death, right? So, so really, how can we make sure that we take it forward? And, and I think to me, that's very exciting. Um, and then you can say always, it will tell when we go into the, to the real models of, <laughs> of, of um, I would say, we always talk about animal models and, and how it looks like, but uh, but eventually uh, the clinical trials would, would demonstrate whether or not what we are developing is is high hopes or wishful thinking. Absolutely. Yeah. So what what has it been like for you being such a lady boss in this very male dominated space? Well, um, I think it's been, it's been sometimes intimidating. Uh, I do remember, especially in, in, in the younger days until you, you sort of start to know a little bit more and, and maybe get a little bit more appreciation for what you actually uh, deliver on. Um, it can be very intimidating, but when you could get over that and you start to stand up for yourself and say, I can, I can do it as well as a male counterpart can do, then that's a really big step. And, and I would definitely always, you know, try to encourage other female entrepreneurs, et cetera, to have that mindset. Uh, it may be uncomfortable, but but at least try to pull it off and 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 go with that mindset, I think is pretty important because we have so much important um, aspects of things and setting of teams and and um, these aspects in terms of the contribution in the boards, et cetera. I think diversity is, is a good thing, but it has to be yeah. skilled people. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there any other advice you would want to share or maybe even advice you would give your younger self looking back? Hmm. I, I, I would say the advice that I would give to uh, to people in, in general is to be, you know, not afraid, not afraid to to jump out of your comfort zone. Uh, it may look really scary when when you are just about to do it, but when you look back, it wasn't maybe that scary. Um, 
if you're able to surround yourself with good people, if you ask for advice all along the way, and you have good friends and mentors uh, during that transition, I think the world is uh, is in front of you. And 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 I realized that. And and when I talk to people today, I do still remember um, having those first mentor words is true Steve Goldman and, and Fleming Basenbacher in Denmark, that's the chair of the Carlsberg uh, group, saying that you can do this. And I, I listened to those words and I was just like, okay, I'll give it a try. I'll do my best and I'll see if I can. And and I think having those mentors in your life and listening to them, not be too afraid is, is really, really a, a critical thing. Absolutely. So on that note, and, and just to wrap up here, you you've shared with me uh, the story of when you first met Bob Nelson um, of Arch Venture, Venture Partner fame. Um, and I was hoping you might share that with listeners now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say Louis Pasteur is, say, is saying uh, favor, uh, always favor, uh, sorry, uh, luck favors the prepared mind, right? So so in, in that sense, I was really hungry. I was I have I have to prove to Steve Goldman and those that believed in me that that I can I can become something. I started knocking indoors, and at one point uh, via this path, I was so lucky to to meet with Bob Nelson um, in Stanford at Stanford Park Hotel, and I came there. I was super nervous. This super fancy. A biotech entrepreneur that has been creating the most uh, impactful companies uh, in my mind in in, in these uh, these yeah twenty last years um, and meeting with him was a a big eye opener because he's such a phenomenal um, investor and creative mind and he makes shit happen and and <laughs> that was really what you know made me wanted to be engaged with the arts and, and, and also it inspired me to take the next step, next step in, in, in my career. So yeah, that was, that was that story. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, I mean, I, one of the first things I learned about him was the original name for one of his companies that he started, which was like FC, whatever, which stood for you know, fuck yeah. cancer. <laughs> and, you know, I think it, it's just, it's such a unique and aggressive approach to tackling disease and trying to cure things is like, we hate you and we're coming after you and we're going to try to solve this problem together. And I, yeah. I love that. So it's really neat that you, you got connected with him and you've you know, been involved with Arch for several years now and grown as an entrepreneur in residence and started all these companies. And um, there's just a lot of exciting things to come from you. So I know you can't necessarily talk exactly about what you're doing right now, but if you wanted to touch on it at, at all on a high level and what you're excited about next, I think yeah. that'll be. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I was a... Um fortunate uh, I would say to to have a, a little break here over the winter and and 
try to think about what I should do next uh, in, in terms of my steps after uh, OSINE, et cetera. But, um, but I was lucky to then get um, approached by a couple of really fantastic opportunities. Uh, one of them, which was a, a interim uh, CEO role for a company that's um, involving a lot of the superstars in CRISPR cells, uh, in CRISPR and um, in hemopoietics themselves. And, and I think for me being again surrounded with um, professors and, and uh, PIs that are visionary, that really believes in their stuff and helping them fulfilling their science uh, in, you can say a leadership role or a catalyst role of, of getting that science out of the lab is, is just like so fulfilling and, and, and fascinating to me. Um, so I'm really excited for, for this new journey and, uh, and I hope that I can make a difference for all the hard work that they put in in the academic uh, yeah, world and, and help them uh, secure that their uh, hard work is, is actually translated into to therapies for a broad number of patients and, and changing how we think about therapies in terms of being accessible. The problem is that there are so many therapies at this time that's so expensive. And, uh, and I think rethinking the way we are thinking about developing therapies and making them accessible, democratizing medicines is going to be super important. So I'm fortunate to be in part of that and let's see what, what how long time I stick, can stick with that company. I love it. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And I have nothing but the utmost faith and optimism for you on this new new role for yourself and, and what's to come. And I know you just keep surrounding yourself with good people and good ideas and good science. And you just are the best cheerleader and best promoter for these things and, and moving them forward. So um, it's exciting to learn a little bit about your journey today and share that with listeners and, um, you know, just, just learn more about how your process works and how you've gotten to where you are today. So thank you for sharing that with us. And um, Christina, thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jocelyn. And, and I would say a big thank you for making this podcast here. I think it is a big inspiration to a lot of people out there, lady scientists, and, and not only the female population, but also the male population. I think you have been doing an incredible job while having a very hardworking job. Uh, besides that, I admire you and for your creativity, your thoughts of, you know, bringing people together and connecting dots. I think that's really something that's very unique. Um, so I see you as a superstar and, and I'm sure you will be phenomenal going forward. You are. Aww, thank you. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks for joining. <laughs> Thanks for joining me on this journey. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. That's phenomenal. No, it's great. It's great to, to finally have you on the show. So the feeling's mutual. <laughs>